this week on a lively experiment a panel of candidates for state and local office this year what did they learn from the campaign trail plus a growing call for lawmakers to come off the sidelines and get to work a lively experiment is generously underwritten by For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen-White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, political contributor Don Roach, former state representative and co-chair of the Rhode Island Trump 2020 campaign Doreen Costa, and Billy Hunt, Secretary for the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island. Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us this week. Well, we have something a little bit different for you this week. What motivates someone to run for political office at a time where the perception, the public perception of running for office has taken a hit? Well, this week, our panel went out on the campaign trail, and although each of them lost their races, we get to hear from them what it was like to be out on the COVID version of the campaign trail. Doreen, let me begin with you. You've run a lot of races before. You've actually won every race leading up to this one. So we'll break that down a little bit. But you have you have run for State House. You've run for um, North Kingstown Town Council, which you served on. What made this year different, or was it not different in the basic running for office? Well, it really wasn't that different except for the mail ballots. That was the, that was the whole difference. Um, when you went out campaigning on the campaign trail, um, you would knock on the door and you would back up and you would have your mask on and people would come out and talk to you. And a lot of people said, you know, we already voted. So it was, that was that was kind of difficult trying to gauge who voted and, and who didn't at that time. Um, but people were great. I mean, they were just coming outside. They were talking to you. We were social distancing. I mean, I didn't really see that much of a difference except for the ballots, the mail, the mail-ins. That was it. Don, you, this is your first run, I assume, for you ran for uh, Cranston City Council. Is that correct? This was your first run? So this was my first run citywide, but about 10 years ago, I ran for Cranston City Council in my neighborhood. So okay. a board. And so what was this year, Cranston was a little bit different because you had it was very um, politically active. You had a primary in the in the mayor's spirited on each side and then the general election. What was that like for you? Because I know the mayor's race was sucking a lot of the air um, out of the, the publicity. But what was that? Did that help you or hurt you running as a city council person? Um, ultimately, I think it hurt just a little um, because, um, you know, we had to wait until after the primary to kind of come together as, as, as a party to run together because prior to the primary, we had two folks running and, you know, it was, it was hard to come together as an entire team. But after the primary, we, we came together as a team and, and worked, but, um, we didn't leverage our advantage, uh, you know, as early as we could have. Billy, this is your uh, second or third run as, as a libertarian? Fourth run. Oh, my goodness. You are a masochist. Um, <laughs> so tell me about that running as a third-party candidate, a whole different ballgame than being under the wing of a party. Tell me about that. Yeah, certainly. It's uh, definitely a challenge because you don't have the resources that the two major parties have uh, in terms of uh, you know having 
the town committees that, uh, for example, getting even ballot access signatures for endorsed candidates uh, for town council or school committee or anything like that, uh, they only have to get one ballot access sheet signed, whereas a independent candidate is out doing it by themselves. So I had to get all my own ballot access signatures, uh, which a lot of candidates did, I'm sure Green and Don did the same thing. Uh, but it also uh, some technical challenges in terms of just getting the resources like uh, canvassing uh, app and software that we use. Uh, some companies won't work with me because I'm a third party, won't work with me because I'm a libertarian. Uh, so it creates a challenge. I end up going with a company based out of Ireland, believe it or not, uh, and that created some problems <laughs> with the bank oh. accounts and getting the uh, credit cards to go through. Uh, but it's it's definitely a unique situation, but something that people are familiar with here with the East Bay and the uh, Cool Moose Party that we're so familiar with. In terms of, Billy, in terms of the actual campaigning, Doreen talked about masking up. Did you do a lot of door-to-door? Yes, I, I, I did, did knock on a lot of doors, and it was definitely uh, similar to what Doreen mentioned. Uh, there was uh, definitely a distinct uh, difference between people who were receptive to you at the door and people who weren't. Uh, you could tell very quickly once they answered the door whether or not they were happy to see you or not. I did have a number of situations where people uh, got a little overwhelmed and, and didn't weren't really happy to see me. I'd say that. Don't take Jim. that. Don't take it personally, Don. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say campaigning this year was very different than when I ran in 2010. You know, I knocked on a lot of doors then. I knocked on a lot of doors um, this time. But <clears throat> folks were either way too comfortable in terms of, hey, come on into the house. <laughs> or um, I, one story I'd love to tell is um, I actually used some email or used constant contact to send emails out to, to folks. And I got an email back. I, I basically, my subject line was, how can I earn your vote? got an email back from this woman who said, not by sending emails, right? <laughs> and so I was like, maybe this person is one, a person who wants the, the door-to-door piece because it's hard to tell. So later on in the campaign trail, I, I came to her house. She was home and she was like, COVID, I can't, can't open the door, <laughs> right? So I left the note. I was like, I, you, I emailed you and you said not, I couldn't earn your vote that way. And I've come to your house. Is there any way I can earn your vote? I didn't hear from her again, but it was just a, a really challenging um, situation. Hey, Doreen, so you have run state and local. What yeah. were the issues this year? I mean, look, COVID overruns everything and the, you know, kind of all of that in the presidential election. Clearly, we'll get to that in a little bit because you were co-chair of the Trump campaign. But what were you hearing from your constituents that maybe was a little bit different this year, the nuance of 2020? You know what, it really, Jim, it really wasn't that difficult. I mean, people were just knew who I was. When I jumped into this, I knew I had an uphill battle. I mean, I had a independent in the race, probably one of the most hated politicians in Narragansett. Um, so I, I did the best I could. There was, when I was in Narragansett, it was all about the library. Will I support the library? Absolutely, who wouldn't support a library? Um, but I went into this eyes open with a three-way race. I knew I had an uphill battle. So when, when the mail ballots came in and, and I ended up losing, I wasn't really even that upset because I knew I had done everything I possibly could. Hey, so Billy, four times, and people still trying to get used to the Libertarian Party. I'm sure you have to explain the platform a little bit. Why, why do you keep running? I mean, I mean, I don't mean to be disrespectful here, but why, why do you keep doing that? And you now have a young family. If you get elected, you got a lot of juggling. Fortunately, you're young and you have energy. But a lot of people want to know what motivates somebody, particularly when you have not had success in previous races. 
Sure. Well, when I first ran in 2016, it was because nobody ran against uh, Ken Marshall at the time in 2014. He ran unopposed the uh, the election before. So I figured I'd throw my hat in the ring. Uh, not having a lot of experience in being a third party, uh, I was happy with the result. I got about 38 uh, percent of the vote my first time out. Uh, but unfortunately, that actually signaled to the Progressive Party that this was a winnable seat. So they ran a uh, candidate uh, who was uh, Lofton Asensio, who had his own problems. Uh, and again, when I ran against Lofton in 2018, uh, even though people didn't think I had a very good chance of winning, uh, if I had not been in the race, uh, he would have won the primary and would have sailed into the state house. And none of this information would have come out about the uh, problems that he had with the embezzlement of the Sierra uh, funds, allegedly, that uh, uh, he was uh, dealing with and everything like that. So even if you're unsuccessful in your campaign, you still have impact into who is actually elected and who is actually in the state house. Uh, if it wasn't for me running, and then uh, I ran the special election in 2019, uh, June Speakman eventually got in. Uh, as much as I have uh, differences of opinion and political uh, philosophy than June does, I think she's a much better uh, candidate to have in the state house than uh, Lofton would have been. So on par, I've been progressing every four years and getting better. And uh, I think I've had some good impact here in my district. So I'm happy with that. When you go up, you come up and you say, I'm a libertarian, do people know you enough now? Do you have to go through the like the elevator speech on the platform? What does that kind of pique their interest a little bit? Because you're, you're not you're not prevalent in Rhode Island. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, obviously the people who don't know what it is, you they think you're saying you're a librarian, which they think is a, a funny, <laughs> a funny a platform to be running on. Uh, get rid of the Dewey Decimal System, you know, that whole thing. Uh, but it, it's it's definitely something that since I've been running and since I've uh, had the name recognition and now that run four times uh, in a row, came second place four times in a row, uh, people know who I am. They know what I stand for. And uh, I always tell people you're voting for the person, not the p political party. So if you're like me, you think I'm going to represent you. Uh, it really doesn't matter what political affiliation I'm with. Uh, I'm really up there to represent the constituents in District 68. Dory, what question did you get from the constituent? What did they what, did they ask you anything, or did you just give your spiel and you were on your way? No, I mean I think one question I got was um, I. Most a couple of questions I got, in my, believe it or not, in my pro life, and I said yes, and they would come back out and say, "Oh my God, we're going to vote for you." That I, I got that probably six or seven times. Other than that, it was thank you for coming to the door, thank you for social distancing, thank you for having the respect to back up. I had, um, I'll tell you one quick story. I was in Narragansett, and I rang the doorbell, and this couple came to the door with mask on, and I'm like, "I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to back up," and they're like, "No, we have COVID and we're quarantined." And I'm like, oh my God, can I do anything for you? And they said, no. So what I did is I stopped campaigning. I went to a local restaurant down in Narragansett, brought them back dinner, <laughs> rang their doorbell, and then just left. And they were almost in tears. Um, and, and that's what being a politician is about. That's what campaigning is about. If they voted for me or not, if they early voted for the other party, I didn't care at that point. It's about helping the people in your community, if you are elected or not, if you are running for office or not. Just because I didn't get elected this time doesn't mean I'm still not going to go out into the community and help the people that need the most help. Don, I'm going to give you the last word before we move on on a different topic. You're in a different place right now. You have three kids. You know, you have a very busy professional life. So did that go in the back of your head? Should I, I mean, what was the motivating factor for you to say, I'm going to dive back in the arena and try to run again? <clears throat> Uh, well, I mean, 
I love to help the community. Like Doreen said, it's those moments that, that, that really matter when you can talk to a constituent and really make a difference for them. I, you know, I made a difference for one person who was like, I'm not, I'm not voting for Republicans anymore. And I told, I said, well, why not? And she said, well, they've done X, Y, Z. And she was talking local. She wasn't even talking national. She's like, don't get me started about the national. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm going to try to earn your vote. So tell me what problem, if I can solve, you know, would, would help me earn your vote. And I helped her with a problem with some police issue in her, her neighborhood. And she ended up voting for me. And so that kind of stuff, just, I love that stuff because I want people to feel like they're, they're, you know, representatives are actually representing them and we'll talk to them. And, and, and so that's why, that's why I ran this year. Plus at the last second, you know, the, the Republican party said, Hey, Don, we've, we've got a spot. Can you, can you, can you fill it? And my wife said, um, Hey, go, you can run. And so that's all I needed. I just needed that green light. Get the check off. off from the wife. You're yep, all set. Got, got the check. Yep. That is great. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. And Doreen, let me stay with you. You know all the players up there. You sat in that chamber. You know Joe Sicarci was going to be taking over for Nick Mattiello. First of all, let me ask you, were you surprised Mattiello lost or not? I was very surprised, yeah. I didn't I thought he I thought he was gonna be the speaker forever because he was just up at the state house. He kind of got along with everybody. Um, he was pretty much down the middle, could stop the progressive movement. Um, so I, was I surprised? I mean, Barbara Ann worked extremely, extremely hard, extremely hard. So hats off to her. Um, but yeah, I was a little bit surprised. There's been a lot of talk about the differences. You know, Joe's a little bit easier going. The main thing, so you can talk to what you think uh, it's going to look like under Joe. But I also want to ask you, and I had a story in today's journal today. There's an increasing call for the General Assembly to come off the sidelines. Where have they been? Governor Raimondo has been basically, you know, for better or for worse, she's been running the show. So talk first about Joe Sicarci and then a little bit about where you think the legislature should be fitting in right now with everything that's going on. I'm sorry, Jim. I lost your. I lost you that at that yeah, point. No problem. So to talk talk first of all about Joe Sicarci and how you think it's going to be different under him at, in the chamber. Well, uh, to me, he's Jojo. He's always going to be Jojo because <laughs> I could never say I could never say his last name. So as leader Jojo, now he's speaker Jojo to me. Um, he is probably one of the nicest guys. And you've heard this from everybody um, that you've ever met in your entire life. Joe and I probably agree on almost nothing politically, but I feel like he will be fair. I hope he's a, I hope he's a, a fair He's got a D rating with the, with the NRA. So I think we might have a, an uphill battle with some of the firearm legislation going in. Um, he's not pro-life, but he's fear. You can sit down, you can talk to him, you can have a conversation with him. I mean, however, I think he won with 51 or 52 um, votes because the progressives were outside um, not, not wanting to support Joe. And I think everybody should support him because he will sit down with, he will talk to you. He will look at both sides. He, he reached out to the Republican caucus like in the first day or two when we found out he was going to be speaker. And that's what you need to do. You need to look at both sides of the aisle. So I think he's going to be fair. And I mean, I text him, I call him. I mean, he's a friend of mine. And um, I think he's going to be okay. And if not, he's got me to deal with. So I can just pick up the phone and say, hey, Joe, what did you just do? You know, Spe so. Now you can call him Speaker Joe. Hey, uh, Billy, Billy, what about the General Assembly being on the sidelines all these months? Did that come up in, in the course of the campaign and your thinking? 
Yeah, it, it definitely did. That was one of the main uh, points, even when the pandemic was early in the, uh, the, the first couple of months, the 14 days to flatten the curve. Um, I was calling for the General Assembly, the House Oversight Committee to go and just provide some oversight to the governor and how she was, you know, uh, spending money or not spending money or holding the money back and uh, the, the different mandates and different issues that she was putting forth. Uh, it seems to me that uh, the speaker kind of uh, went and the Senate president at the time uh, just packed up the the show and uh, deferred to uh, the governor because they were afraid of what was going to be the ramifications in a uh, an election year. Uh, so they just deferred to the governor. And I don't know, I think uh, in the uh, Mattiello race that came back to, to hurt him where the constituents looked at that and they said that they wanted somebody that was going to show up to work and, and do their job. And uh, quite frankly, I mean, what the House uh, Oversight Committee, the Finance Committee finally met this uh, this week from the last time they met was to increase the budget by about 20% uh, uh, for the last fiscal year. And we're expected to uh, put, pass a new budget uh, within the next month because we need to get the CARES Act uh, funds spent before the end of the year unless we get an extension from Congress. So uh, it's really uh, put us as a state in a bad position uh, because we're trying to do everything last minute and we're scrambling uh, when we really had months and months over the course of the summer where the General Assembly could have met and uh, addressed a lot of these issues. Yeah, and Don, well, you were off campaigning. We've been speaking on Lively virtually every week about the, the deficit. You know, the, people having a hard time getting the number. The governor has refused to do state, state layoffs or furloughs, not even layoffs, but furloughs to try to save some money. And all the time, as Billy outlined, the leadership was in, in a race. So I'm wondering where you think the General Assembly fits in. And, and we still don't have a budget. Here we are four or five months into the fiscal year. Now, it feels like the governor as well as the General Assembly just put their head in the sand until after the elections, hoping that things would stay the same in terms of uh, the leadership. Clearly, that didn't happen. Uh, I was out on the campaign trail with Barbara Ann and, and, and the mayor. Often, we'd be crisscrossing. They worked hard, and, and the message resonated. I mean, if if that I give if the general assembly thought that they could put their head in the sand and voters wouldn't care they that was a gross miscalculation gross miscalculation because people watch the news whether you're watching Fox or CNN the story is the same you know you know people were suffering or and are continuing to suffer in this pandemic and people wanted the general assembly to take action they just didn't and so um you know speaker Mattiello kind of faced the backlash for that and I agree. And, and, should ha and, and as he should have. What about that, Doreen? Well, the General Assembly, there is no reason why they should not be back to work, period. They spend all that money putting up all the plexiglass. The plexiglass $166,000 I mean, of plexiglass. It, I mean, it's everywhere. And, and, and here's another thing. When you have um, committee hearings up at the State House, State House Judiciary, and it's a firearms night, you've got hundreds and hundreds of people ready to testify. You have all these rooms all around the state house where they would put the overflow. You can put the General Assembly in these rooms, social distance, one by one, they can come in, go to their desk, vote on a bill and go back. There is no reason why they should not be convened right now. There is a way to do this, is an easy way to do this. Just do what you do in committee hearings when and just have everybody scattered in the state house. There, yeah. there is no reason why they should not have been back to work Okay, when this first broke out, maybe a few weeks, but right now I, I call this gross misconduct on their part.
Folks, quickly, we are taping on a Thursday morning. The governor has moved her uh, briefings to Thursday at noon. So by the time you watch this, she will have probably announced more restrictions. We're hearing uh, sending high school students uh, having them distance learn between now and uh, the beginning of the new year. It just feels like a, a dark winter is coming. And Billy, I don't know what your thought is. You know, I'm sitting in those briefings every week. It seems like it's getting worse. Uh, look, I think the governor's doing the best she can, but I think it, at times I get the feeling she doesn't really know what she's exasperated because the things she's done have not really done anything. So then it's kind of like, well, what do I do next, short of a lockdown? Well, by the Department of Health's uh, spokesperson's own admission, it's nearly impossible to do the contact tracing and everything that uh, they are using to, for the facts and the science that they're using to make these decisions. Uh, it's something like, uh, you know, out of the thousands of cases we have reported, only about 150 people are actually doing the contact tracing. So when they're using the data that they're collecting from those interactions and those uh, that feedback and then using that to apply policy across the entire population it really does everyone a disservice because you're not getting the full information that you need to do it and it's to a point that uh, the the Democrats and the the government seems to think they have to do something so they get the best information that they have and they do something but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right information or it's the right way to do things and this is why again going back it's so important to have the General Assembly there to provide oversight and to provide different points of view in order to help get us to the best possible place and not just be kind of flying by the seat of our pants and and using the limited information that we have to make decisions. Yeah, and Don, I'm thinking it's only November. We're, we're not into It's not yeah. like this is even January yeah. or February. And you've got three kids. I mean, I know the distance learning has been tough. What yeah. goes through your mind as you're watching things deteriorate <clears throat> from an infection standpoint? And the hospitals are beginning to get, you know, not overwhelmed, but filling up. Sure. You know, my kids are in three different schools, and uh, they've all been distance learning. Uh, and for me, it, it wasn't so much I didn't trust the schools. I didn't trust my kids. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I just, you know, I've got my mother-in-law, I have, you know, some, some health issues myself. Um, so I fall squarely into those like kind of categories of, of, of danger. Um, and so, and I, and I, and I thought that we would be here where the schools might, might close again, but I think the encouraging news that we heard this week where some of the companies with their vaccines trials and 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 the positivity with with vaccines, so I'm I'm hopeful that this time next year we may be almost back to to normal life. But you know, I I feel like the governor did a really good job in the beginning, uh, but I feel like she's using the same methodology she used in the beginning now, which which isn't going to work. Um, I feel like she's been kind of a big stick, like, you know, wear your mask, social distance, do this, do that, which I wear my mask, I, I totally distance, but people need to have some kind of a hope for, we're gonna get back to normal, and this is how we get back to normal. And businesses have suffered, and I don't think she's really tapping into why people are having a hard time socially distanced like they haven't seen their families they haven't seen their friends in months and months i talk to people every day at my job who are talking they they live alone and they haven't seen people and it's just a, taking an emotional toll and i don't feel like she's talking about that or addressing that and i think she needs to do that to get folks to uh, kind of do some of these things that that we need to do to get past this during 
Well, I think, I mean, I talked to you off air before we came on. I think she needs some, a little bit more guidance. I think she's in over her head, to be honest with you, because we're doing the same things over and over and nothing seems to be working. So now we have to think outside the box. I don't think you need to close down restaurants because it's not, you did it before, it's not working. We're wearing our masks, we're social distancing, we are hand sanitizing like crazy. I go out, Jim, and there is nobody not wearing a mask. I never see anybody not wearing a mask, whether it be in any, when I go grocery shopping or wherever I go. People are sanitizing, they're social distancing. So there's something else that we need to do. It is not closing down the businesses. I think she needs a little more guidance. I think she needs to come out of her circle. Um, like I, I agree with Don. At first, I'm like, okay, she's doing a great job, but someone's dropping the ball somewhere. And we need to figure out where that somewhere is. All right, we have about four minutes left. Let's go uh, to presidential politics. Doreen, you worked very hard here. Uh, President Trump had a pretty good showing in Rhode Island. I wonder what you think now in the in the interim. Um, you know, I think a week ago, people were like, okay, let's give it some time for these court challenges. A lot of those have been rebuffed. Is it time for him to finally say, okay, we're going to start transitioning now or keep up the fight? No, he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do. He's still the president. When all the votes are certified, then he will concede. None of the votes have been certified yet. And, and again, we're going to go back to 2000, Bush and Gore. That didn't get certified until I think it was the second week in December. So when the votes are certified and everything is where it needs to be, then yes, it's time to move on. But none of the votes have been certified. So I don't know why everybody on the left is in, in such a big hissy fit. He's not conceding. He's not conceding. He doesn't have to right now. Yeah, Nothing well, has, not one state has been certified, Jim. What about the fact, Billy, that he is is not allowing Biden to be brief, to have transition funding? And I talked about this last week, that you can walk and chew gum at the same time to be able to, okay, so if everything gets overturned, then what's the, what's the problem with letting them go forward? It seems as if the new administration is going to be a little bit behind. I know they're moving forward, but I'm curious as to what you think about all this as a libertarian. Well, you know, it, it, it's to me, I voted for the libertarian candidate, Joe Jorgensen. I think the uh, big point that we try to get across as a libertarian party is that Rhode Island was pretty much safe bet going to go to Joe Biden. And so any vote for Donald Trump, if you want to vote for Trump and that's who your candidate is, I God bless you. But uh, a better use of your vote might have been to vote for the libertarian candidate to get us the 5% we need to be uh, get the ballot access here in the state of Rhode Island, which is important to get a different voice uh, in the in the political arena here in the state. In terms of the transition uh, with the president, you know, for a uh, vice president, uh, 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 Biden, now president-elect Biden, uh, for all his talk about how much of a terrible job Trump did, uh, it seems to me that with the experience that he's had as vice president, uh, this seems like a lot of political uh, posturing and uh, trying to make uh, Trump look bad uh, because he pretty much has a lot of the information he needs. The transition team, it'll happen. I don't think it's something that is as big of a deal that they uh, make it out to be. Don? Yeah, you know, um, full disclosure, I'm not a Trump supporter. Um, I've, I wrote in Bob Dole. Um, <laughs> this time. And, um, what, Grover but, Cleveland wasn't available? Grover, he, no, no, he wasn't available. Uh, but Bob Dole is still alive and kicking, so I, he got my vote. Um, but yeah, no, I think, you know, I think Trump should concede. I never expected him to concede. I don't expect him to concede even after votes are certified. He he he's not going to concede. Like Trump is who he is, you know. And uh, I respect folks who who will who vote for him. You know, he's done what he said he's going to do. You know, I think he may be 
one of the few presidents, maybe the only president I can remember, who actually ran on a promises and actually kept to all of those promises. And so, so for that, I commend him. But uh, again, for me, uh, there's a lot of reasons why I can't, I can't support him. But I think Biden, I like what he had to say in terms of uniting the country. It's a lot of rhetoric. It's good rhetoric. We've heard great rhetoric in the past, Barack Obama, uh, you know, but it's really about, you know, once he is in office, how is he able to pull people together? Because he's got fractures in his own party. And um, I, I think he's got a really tough job ahead of him. And if he tries to do politics as usual, we're, we're in trouble. But I think from at least from the pandemic perspective, I have more faith in uh, in Biden than I do in Trump. Folks, thank you so much. It always goes by really quickly. Doreen and Billy and Don, thank you. And thank you for joining us. Come back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.